0: Well, please open your Bibles to the book of Amos. You can find that on page 765 in your Pew Bibles. I'm going to read uh, Amos uh, chapter 1, verse 2, and then our passage for this evening will be Amos chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Hear the word of God Amos chapter 1, verse 2. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. Now over to chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Thus says the Lord, for three, three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, but their lives have led them astray those after which their fathers walked. So I will send fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. I would also invite you to turn briefly to the back of your Trinity Psalter hymnal to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. You can find that on page 968. Uh, There are two catechism questions that I just want us to to have before us this evening uh, as we hear... Uh, the word preached. That's page 968 in the back of your Trinity Psalter hymnal. Uh, If we could uh, together, uh, questions two and three, uh, I will read the question, and if we could all respond with the answer. What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? The answer, the word of God which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. Question three, what do the Scriptures principally teach? The answer, the Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, As we now prepare to hear your word explained, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would soften our hearts so that we might enjoy being in your presence, that you might sharpen our minds, that we might rightly discern your truth, and that you might shape our wills so that we might desire your ways. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, it's been a couple of weeks uh, since we've been in Amos, so just remembering uh, what the book is about and what the goal of the book is. The church of Amos' day, they needed a firm shaking, they needed a wake-up call, they needed to be warned of the dangers of being lukewarm or even very cold to the things of God, and that's a wake-up call that we find ourselves constantly needing as well. And in our last message, the Lord began this wake up call by pronouncing judgment against six nations around Israel. The Lord exposes the most awful sins of all these nations so that Israel might take a look inside their own heart and see how they are guilty of the same sins. Now remember, as we're looking at Amos at this time, the kingdom is divided, and when we speak of Israel, we're speaking of the northern kingdom, and Judah is the southern kingdom. And I'm sure as the northern kingdom, Israel, was was hearing these six nations being being, uh, basically taken to task by the Lord, that in their hearts they were cheering, yes, Lord, those are our enemies, that's what they deserve, go get them. Well, now in verses 2 and 5, it starts to hit a little closer to home as the rebuke turns to to Judah, their southern neighbor, and not just close to them geographically, but also their brothers and sisters. They were brought out of Israel or out of Egypt together. So at some point, they may have started out with cheering here, but then as as they start to hear the Lord getting closer and, and speaking to Judah, perhaps those cheers started to get just a little more unsure as the Lord's roaring is getting closer to home. Well, it's not only going to get closer to home for Israel, but it's going to hit closer to home for us as well. As we see these charges that Amos brings against the people of God and we see their sin, this should cause us to look inside our own hearts and to look inside our own life and and ask, am I sinning like this? Am I in danger of falling into the same rebellion? Is there a log in my own eye that needs removing? The major sin and charge that the Lord brings against Judah here is rejecting and neglecting the Word of God and instead deciding to go their own way. Our theme this evening is this. Christ, our prophet, warns the church. If we neglect or reject God's Word, we will be led astray and, sit and face the same fiery judgment as the unbelieving world. We'll unpack this under two points, uh, the sins of Judah exposed, and then responding to the Lord's roar. So as we look at verse 4, we see the same format used in pronouncing warnings that the Lord used to pronounce judgment upon the other nations, and now he applies this to Judah. Verse 4, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Well those in Judah, if they if they had hear this, we know that Amos was from Judah, so they, they may have they may have been a bit surprised to hear the Lord speaking judgment against them through his prophet. What do you mean we'll be judged? They knew their history. They knew who they were. The Lord rescued all of Israel, including Judah, from slavery to Pharaoh. And and He rescued them with His mighty hands and with great wonders. And He sustained them in the wilderness. And he, He led them to victory and gave them the land where they live right now. Israel was the object of the Lord's special covenant love. And they were also called to crush idolatry in the land. And to be completely loyal to their God. In Deuteronomy 7, we read of Israel and by extension Judah as as they are special recipients of God's love. Just a few verses from Deuteronomy 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So even though Israel and Judah, as a part of Israel, they they were special, even though they are God's treasured possession, God's not going to change his standard of holiness when it comes to them. And they liked their special status, as we read in Deuteronomy 7. They liked the treasured possession part of the statement, but they quickly forgot about the beginning of that statement, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. We like it that we're treasured possessions, but I, I, you are breaking up there. I didn't quite hear what you said about being holy. Well, we're going to see that God gave his people a special gift, a special gift that the nations didn't have. And instead of expressing gratitude and valuing the gift, they rejected it and neglected it, and instead they decided that the nations had more to offer They had a better way. And picking up back in verse 4, we read of Judah's twofold sin and the results. We see what they did. Because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. But their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. They have rejected the law of the Lord. They have not kept his statutes. They've rejected God's will for their life as it's summarized for them in the Ten Commandments. However, the sin of rejecting God's law goes actually a lot deeper than just disobeying the Ten Commandments. To reject the law of God is actually a complete rejection of God as their king. To reject the law of God is is to be treasonous and to be rebellious. See, the nations of the ancient world, they also had governments and they had laws, laws, and in scholarship, we refer to what that form of government written down, we refer to these things as something called a suzerain treaty. Well, a suzerain is a king, and the king would have had a written agreement with his vassals or his people, the people that he ruled. And the oldest example of this, this suzerain treaty, this, this rule of government that we have, Uh, is from the Code of Hammurabi, which is around the 18th century B.C. I'm sure some of you have have heard of that or or maybe read some of it. If you ever have read it, you're going to find that the general structure sounds something like this, and this is representative of these government structures, these treaty structures in the ancient world. Here's the general structure. The king identifies himself, and his divine power is proclaimed. The kings were divined, they, they, they were worshipped. The Code of Hammurabi spends a lot of time saying how great he is. And then secondly, it explains his relationship to the people. There's, there's a history of how he came to be the ruler, and oftentimes the ruler is actually described as a shepherd ruler that takes care of his people. Well, this history is laid out. Here, even if they were a conquered people, he would, he would view himself as, as liberating then. Here, here are all the great things that I've done for you as your shepherd king. And then there would be laws and responsibilities that the people were to follow. And there would also be blessings. This is what this is the blessings. I'm going to protect you, and this is how you're going to prosper if you're faithful. And you will experience peace and prosperity. Those were the promises. But there were also penalties or curses for disobedience that were spelled out in great detail. Now, there is a bit more to these ancient treaties, but we get the idea here. And what this did was it established a formal relationship or agreement or a covenant between a ruler and a people. And this is how a nation or, you know, the city-state at least, this, this is how their type of government was constructed at this time. Well, when the Lord rescued Israel from Egypt, they're not only his treasure, treasured possession, but they're now a new creation. They're now a new nation, and God is their king. And to establish this new nation, the Lord uses an existing structure that the people are familiar with. This is how they understand how nations are set up and how kings rule. The suzerain treaty formula establishes the relationship or the covenant, and as I read those things, you probably heard a lot of echoes from, from Exodus. And you can, you can see echoes in the whole of Deuteronomy. It's set up something like this. Essentially, the Lord declares, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And gives them a detailed history of how he has done this. And how he sustained them in the wilderness. This happens in, in a lot in Deuteronomy 3, uh, 4, and 5. And then it's followed by the Ten Commandments and various laws and instructions on how they're to live with God as their king. And then there are blessings for obedience followed by curses and consequences for disobedience. So then, to reject the law of God is not just to commit sin. It's not just to be disobedient to God's commandments. But it's to completely reject the Lord as your king. To disobey God's law as it's a part of this this treaty structure is to violate the treaty and to break covenant with the Lord. And so just in in rejecting God's law as, as the standard for their life, and walking in the ways of the nation. To to do that, what that says is, I don't care if you rescued my ancestors hundreds of years ago. I don't care if everything I have is from you. You are no longer my God and my king. I want to be my God and my king, or I want my own God or the king of my own choosing. That's what they've done here by rejecting the law of God. It's not just that they've sinned, they've rejected God as their king. And their sin here helps us to understand what Amos' job is as a prophet, and and really all all the prophets and and their job. We we should think of a a prophet as a, a covenant lawyer who's bringing charges against the people of God for breaking this agreement. The charge here is you have rejected the Lord as God and king. You have rejected his gracious covenant that he made with you. You have rejected his care over you. And then in verse 4, we see what a rejection of God's law looks like. We see the rotten fruit, but their lives have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. Now, commenting on this verse, J.A. Mottier says Amos, when he says this, that this is what he means. When anything other than the Word of God is given supreme place so that we base our lives upon it and guide our lives by it, then it becomes a lie and a source of lies. So instead of walking in the way of blessing and obedience, Israel decided to adopt the gods and all the traditions of their fathers their fathers took in a steady diet of idolatry and wickedness and lies. And instead of seeing the sins of their fathers as as evil and as a warning, they embraced them as righteousness and truth and the way of blessing. Even though they had God's love letter to them, They had His law, they had His promise that that He would be their God, and they would be His people, and that they're His treasured possession. Even though they had this, and they had it in writing, they chose to go the way of the nations. They had the very oracles of God, and God was their king, and dwelt in the land with them, and yet they chose to walk the path of the nations. Paul describes what this road that Judah was taking. He described what it looks like. Although he's not describing Judah, he's describing those that that don't have the word of God in Romans 1. But it fits perfectly for what Judah has done. Paul says in Romans 1, "'For although they knew God, "'they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, "'but they became futile in their thinking, "'and their foolish hearts were darkened. "'Claiming to be wise, they became fools.'" And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. If God will not spare the nations for embracing idolatry and lies, therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonor of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. If God will not spare the nations for embracing idolatry and lies, he will certainly not spare his own people that have his word, his own people whom he has loved and given them a gift of the law. Judah has had every privilege, and what did they do? They spit in God's face and rejected him. And they rejected his word because they wanted to be like the nations. They thought the nations had it right. They thought living like the nations was more fun. They were following their heart, and their heart led them to go the way of the nations. They wanted to go their own way. And as a result, instead of blessings, if they don't repent, they will now receive curses They will be judged with the nations, as we read of in verse 5. So I will send fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Their special status of just being with the people of God is not going to absolve them of their sins. God's not going to go soft on Judah just because He rescued their ancestors. In fact, they bear even more guilt having been in covenant with God, being in his presence, and having been given his law and his word, and neglected it, and they rejected it. And because of this, the sins of Judah are even worse than the sins of the nations. Now, as Amos, this is primarily to, to Israel, the northern kingdom, we can, we can get a picture that as this goes on and as Amos' message goes on, we can get a picture of them getting a bit nervous at this point as this judgment is starting to hit closer to home. And perhaps some of them are starting to wake up and say, wait a second, are we sure he's talking about the nations and talking about Judah? Well, we're going to save God's warning to Israel for next time. What we want to do with the remaining time that we have tonight is to think about this message. How should we receive and respond to this warning from Christ, our prophet? In what similar or even the same ways are we in danger of sinning like Judah? I thought of two ways. First, Judah presumed upon God's grace, they approached their relationship with God as as something that they just deserved, and they took it for granted. And we're often guilty of that every time that we neglect the Word of God, we're just taking it for granted. Now, we might think that we, we don't do that, at least not in our hearts, but we're taking the Word of God for granted. For example, in our parenting, when we take a, a hands-off approach. Discipline's really hard. Regular family worship is, I'm really, I'm really tired. Well, a hands-off approach in this way, to neglect the Word of God is, is in danger of being led astray and having your kids led astray. Well, well, my kids, they go to church. They're good kids. They'll be all right. I don't have to worry about it. Might be in danger of, of sinning in the way that Judah has. Or if we're born and raised in the church, it might mean that we think, well, I went to church all the time. I was baptized. I, I show up. I went to class. I made profession of faith. And, and so I'm good. I'm in. I can just kind of I can just kind of coast. We're guilty of sinning like Judah when, in, when instead of seeking to actively obey the Word of God, we just don't take it that seriously. It might even sound like someone saying, well, everything in moderation, right? Don't be a fanatic. Does that include your holiness and dedication to Christ and His church? If it is, we're neglecting the word of God. It might show up in our attitude towards church attendance and even preaching and say, well, I go to church a lot, and you know what? There's something I'd rather do this week than go, so I'm just going to do that because you know what? There's going to be another service next week. It's really no big deal if I, I miss a service as I choose to go do something else. Or, or well, here, here the preacher goes. I know he's about, to, he, he, he's about to get personal, and he's about to start meddling, and he's about to get fiery, he's about to denounce something, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of check out and tune back in when he, when he tells us the good part, if we trust in Christ that our sins are forgiven. If we have heart attitudes that ever sound something like this, or we're just not putting in the effort to be active listeners to the Word of God, we're in danger of being guilty, like Judah, of neglecting God's Word, which may lead to us walking as the nations walk. The second way we might be in danger of sinning like Judah is even more serious than neglecting the Word of God. It involves rejecting God's Word and just deciding that you know better. In fact, this sin is most serious and it is the very root of almost all other sins, even the worst ones that we can think of in our age, rejecting God's law, rejecting God's Word because we think we know better, or we want to go our own way. To reject God's Word is the supreme authority in your life, and to replace it with your own view of truth and your own plan for your life is the root of almost all sins. And if you continue in this one, you will be judged guilty and cast into the fires of hell. Only since you had the Word of God and you had access to it, that fire is going to burn a lot hotter for you. you will be held accountable for all the truth you've heard and rejected. Because you're here in God's presence, hearing his word, you're held to a higher bar at the final judgment than a person that has never read a word of the Bible or stepped foot in a church. But we might think, well, praise God, that's not me. I don't reject the word of God. But here's what this might sound like in some ways, that some of us might be guilty of this, or at least in the beginnings of this sin. If the Bible speaks against something that you, you, you believe, or if the Bible says something, but you're thinking, well, the Bible says this, but that, that sure doesn't feel wrong. Or you decide, well, I know the Bible speaks against this, but, but God's graceful, He'll just forgive me. Well, I know the Bible speaks against this, Against this, but you know what? I, I think that this other thing is, is okay. I'm going to go my own way. If you have any of those thoughts, you're guilty of rejecting God, like Judah. You cannot pick and choose which verses you don't like. If you could, that would make you the supreme judge of truth. No, we must submit ourselves to the Word of God and place ourselves under the authority of the Word. I pray that none of you here are in this situation, but if at some point you're thinking of rejecting or minimizing the clear teaching of the Bible and because you want to just go your own way because you want what you want, I pray the Lord reminds you of what's preached here this evening. If you find yourself desiring to live a life of sin in direct contradiction to the word of God and what it clearly says, you have a decision to make. And I'm going to state it in a way that I hope will help you make this decision, the right decision, if you're tempted here, to go your own way, to think that you know better. I want you to ask yourself this question, who loves me the most? loves me the most? My Christian family members? My church family? My elders? My pastor? And my God? Do they love me the most? Or is it this other voice that I'm listening to? This other friend? This other stranger? This other internet wisdom? Do they love me more? Ask yourself, who has a better plan for my life? The Lord or do I think I could make a better one? Who's actually most concerned with my personal happiness and my eternal soul? This other person that wants to lead me astray? Or the one who made me and takes care of me? Remember, the heart is exceedingly wicked and deceitful in all things. You cannot and should not always trust your heart. But you can always trust the Word of God. Always. And you can always trust those who give you loving directions according to His Word. You can trust those who love you in the Lord. Everyone here must make a decision regarding the Word of God. Everyone must decide, is the Word of God the supreme authority in my life? If the Word of God is not the supreme authority in your life, then realize you're not neutral, you're not going to be okay. You're rejecting the Lord, you're claiming that you know better than God who made you and takes care of you, and this is the sin of Judah. If you're in the midst of questioning your faith, or someday down the road you're thinking of of walking your own path and going your own way and making yourself the supreme judge of truth, I pray that the Lord brings this thought to your mind. Who loves me the most? Who loves me the most? Who cares about me? Who wants me to be the happiest? And I pray that you see that it's your merciful God who showers you with grace and blessings in Jesus Christ. Who loves me the most? Now for all of us here, It is difficult for us to hear and even believe that in some ways we we have sinned like Judah or that we're in danger of sinning like Judah. But we also know the Bible tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes each of us here. At times we've all neglected God's word and at times we've all decided in one way or another, in one circumstance or another, that we want what we want or that we think our plan is better than the Lord's plan. We've all done that. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we've all done that. We're all guilty, but we need not despair. Because the Word of God, as our supreme guide in life, also tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our Lord Jesus knew that even after He saved us, even after He liberated us from slavery to sin, He knew that we would still struggle in this life with indwelling sin that remains. He knew all the awful things that we would think and that we would do. And, and, and even so, even though he knew everything, he didn't hesitate but still went to the cross to pay for our sins. And as a result, now we are in covenant with him. He is our suzerain. He is our king. And we are his vassals. We are his people. And now having rescued us and making us his treasured possession... He now calls us to obey Him as Lord. And the more that we trust and obey, the more we will be blessed. As we go about our week, may the Lord engrave upon all our hearts the blessings that we already have in Christ as they're proclaimed to us in His Word. And may the Spirit of God fully convince us that the Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we give you thanks and praise, not just for saving us from all of our sins, but for not leaving us groping around in the dark, wondering what we, how we should live or how we can say thank you to you or what holiness is. We thank you that you did not just leave us in our sins and, and misery, but you gave us Christ, the light of the world, and you gave us the word of God. is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, may this word increase our love for Christ our Savior, increase our love for one another, and increase our obedience so that we might say thank you to you, being holy as you are holy. In Christ's name, amen.